So, <laughs> I don't think that indemnify is a word. Um, but maybe we just made one up. Because somebody said, well, you could be like indenting something, and when you indent it, you're setting it apart. Um, so, there were several of us involved in the creation of that slide, and none of us caught that the word identify was misspelled. <laughs> so, we'll change that for next week, because we're going to be on top of things. Um, <laughs> we're beginning a series today um, on the patriarchs, on uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, Joseph. And the stories that we get in the second half, or a little bit more than the second half of the book of Genesis. Um, several years ago, we did this uh, trek through uh, the, 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 the entirety of Torah. And we actually did a full year on it. Um, and it was just this time of, uh, we actually followed local Jewish um, like a local synagogue schedule for studying through Torah in a year. And it was very interesting, especially because we had been involved in dialogue with Jewish neighbors in Pikesville at the time. Um, but I just remember um, how it, the, that text spoke to the identity of God's people. There was something about um, these stories, and frankly, some of them are a little odd. <laughs> um, there was something about these stories um, that uh, spoke to God's power, spoke to God's wisdom, spoke to us wrestling with them. Uh, and that's what I want to spend the next six Sundays uh, doing. So at this time, I'll ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. A reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Brothers and sisters, all flesh is grass. The beauty of that grass is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this, the word of our God, endures. Amen? Amen. Have a seat. When humanity was born, it was naked and unashamed. Shame is a funny thing to bring up this early in the story, right? Random House defines shame as the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, done by oneself or another. It's a fact or a circumstance that is a cause for regret or disgrace, but there was none of that in the beginning. In the beginning was simply the Creator and the Created, living in harmony and peace with one another. The created humanity was molded in the image and the likeness of their Creator and given the responsibility to steward the environment in which they had been placed 
with unashamed dominion. Then one day it was declared by the Creator that it was not good for a human being to be alone. Again, this is a funny detail early in the story, especially when we consider that man was not alone. He had God, right? What more could he need? How true, let us never forget that. Still, God the Creator Himself exists in community. One God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when God creates a being, especially a human being created in the image and likeness of God Himself, it is not good that that human being should be alone. So a helper is created for the man, not as a subordinate, but as an equal. Two, coming together to become one flesh. In these primal things, the relation humanity has with their Creator, the relation humanity has with its environment, and the relation humanity has with each other, all of that is called to intimacy. However, that intimacy suffered a brokenness. And the call to dominion, stewardship, and oneness was corrupted by rebellion and the cause to dominate. And stewardship became domination and oneness became brokenness and division. It began with just a simple transgression, something that to many eyes may only have seemed like a minor infraction. Yet once those gates were opened, the corruption began to spread, and it wasn't beyond one generation that now brother is killing brother. We begin to fall for the lie that humanity can solve problems of brokenness with violence. When the rebellion spreads to widespread wickedness, the Creator looks upon that which He created and He saw that every intention of humanity's thoughts was evil continually. Centuries later, others would call this total depravity. The corruption that had begun with such a simple transgression had now spread like cancer throughout the Creator's good world. Even a violent flood that wipes away the vast majority of humanity and leaves behind only a few who find favor in the Lord, even they cannot declare, even that cannot declare victory over the corruption. As the Creator looks upon His world, this world that He loves, that for which He desires the very best, that for which He desires holiness, and sees the rebellion that has now become systemic, infecting the communities in which humanity has gathered. It is our good and loving God who does then something, who then does something quite unexpected. And that is where our story begins. When God Himself initiates a rescue mission to save the world. Once upon a time, there was a man named Abram who lived in the land of what we now call the Middle East. Today, the region is known as Syria, Jordan, Iraq, that general area. Um, Tristan, you can actually put up the uh, map. I mentioned that region only so you can get an idea for the general region where the story begins. Abram, it was said, 
was the descendant of Noah, the one whom had found favor in the sight of the Lord and was spared along uh, with his family during the great flood. But that was a long time ago. As far as we can tell, Abram was a relatively wealthy man. A few years earlier, Abram's father, Terah, had decided that he and his family were going to migrate from Ur, Ur, and go all the way down or up and over to Canaan. But, which Ur would have been modern-day Iraq, just west of Kuwait, um, onto the land of Canaan. But they didn't get that far. They instead settled in Haran, around modern-day southern Turkey. We're not told much more than that. Only that Terah brought Abram with him, um, along with Abram's wife Sarai, and his grandson Lot. It was there that Haran, in Haran that Terah dies, making Abram the family patriarch. We have no way of knowing how involved Abram was in his father's decision to move the family to Canaan, or his decision to stop short of Canaan and settle in Haran. Uh, but Abram was, but there Abram was, sitting at his father's side as he passed away at the ripe old age of 205, finding himself in the land far away of his, from his youth. You know, sometimes, we can go back to the text, sometimes it's funny to think about the series of events that unfolded that brought me to this point where I am a pastor of Catonsville, or pastor in Catonsville. I, I grew up in Parkville, but my family uh, wasn't heavily rooted there. My, my my mother's parents had moved to Baltimore from Appalachia, and they were of Scots-Irish descent. My father's parents had moved from Bal- to Baltimore from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and they were of Dutch-German descent. Amy and I met at Parkville High School and lived in Parkville for several years after we were married, but we were heavily connected to this church all the way in West Baltimore in Owings Mills. Growing up, I had never been to Owings Mills. I didn't even know Owings Mills existed. But after New Hope was planted there in 2003, and some of my family members that started to attend, um, Amy and I decided to get involved as well. And I'll tell you, it really spoke. It really speaks to how thoroughly we were welcomed into that community that, um, that, Amy and I, that, that for Amy and I to travel for six years from Parkville to Owings Mills and Pikesville because we loved this church so much. We felt like it was where God wanted us to be. We felt like we were called to New Hope Community Church. Over the next decade, Amy and I would live in Towson and Parkville and Parkton and Owings Mills and then Reisterstown. And New Hope moved from Owings Mills to Pikesville, if we're splitting hairs, before then deciding in 2015 to move to Catonsville. But that's another story. By then, I was on staff at New Hope as the associate pastor, and New Hope's founding pastor followed a different call with our blessings, and he decided to transition out of the pastoral role, now making me the pastor of New Hope Community Church in Catonsville. So, why do I bring all that up? Well, one day, after his father had died, and Abram found himself the patriarch of his family in the land of Haran, 
He gets a call. He gets a call from God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country. Interesting the your there. Because we don't really know how long Abram was actually there in Haran. But go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. The idea of... It, it, Go from this plan that your father had or being kind of rooted in the identity of your father and make me your father, God says, to the land that I will show you. I want you to go from here to there. And I will make you, notice how often it says I, meaning God, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And I'm going to do that so that you'll be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, in you, Abram, in you, man in the Middle East, in the middle of nowhere, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I believe that these lines are some of the most important in the entirety of Scripture. Now, right up front, I want to say that these lines are ultimately fulfilled in the Christ event, namely the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. But in no way does that give Christians license to remove the story of ancient Israel from its place in the gospel. Unfortunately, that is something that we Christians have often done. You see, the gospel is the good news that God is putting the world back together again in and through the work of Christ and that we're invited along in that restoration. The gospel for before Abram's call, the chapter before Abram's call is the story of the Tower of Babel. I love uh, the note in my study Bible that says, this episode presents the unified humanity using all of its resources to establish a city that is the antithesis of what God intended when he created the world. The tower is a symbol of human autonomy, and the city builders see themselves as determining and establishing their own destiny without any reference to the Lord. So sin becomes systemic deeply corrupting God's good world by creating an idol of the latest technological advancement of the day that just seemed to make God unnecessary. What was that technological advancement of the day? The brick. That's Genesis 11. That, um, uh, that and the backstory of Abram. But to hear some Christians talk, we might as well expect that when we turn the page after the Tower of Babel, well, we would might then find Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and for the world. We do not. No. God is telling a story, a specific way, and we would do well to wrestle with the text that we are given. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, and that the man of God may, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
When we remove Israel from the story God is telling, we lose several vital elements to the larger picture of the gospel. And this text is a primary, prime example of that truth. The theologian William Dumbrell comments that what is being written in these verses is a theological blueprint for the redemptive history of the world. This text represents a sacred promise that God makes with Abram, a sacred promise that can also be called a covenant. Biblically, the word covenant doesn't uh, come into play quite at this point. It's not in this text. The word isn't specifically used in relation to Abram until chapter 15, but it is impossible not to see the heart of the Abrahamic covenant in these words. Now, the word translated covenant is the Hebrew word berith. It can sometimes be difficult to translate because scholars aren't exactly sure where the word comes from. The most common uh, opinion is that it's connected to the Hebrew word bara, which means to cut. This makes a larger sense, uh, makes sense because of the sign of the covenant, as you are probably aware of, is circumcision. Later on in the story, God changes Abram's name to Abraham and tells him that from then on, all of his male descendants are to be cut out as God's people through the sign of circumcision. In a few months, we're going to study the book of Galatians, which is going to talk a bit about circumcision and how that ritual affected the early church and its theology. But for now, it's important for us to see that circumcision was a sign that God's people are to be set apart to identify um, from, uh, for a specifically divine purpose. That purpose is of great importance and Quite a bit could be said about it, but the covenant God cuts with Abraham, or Abram, basically breaks down to three elements that are important for us today. We need to talk about land, we need to talk about blessing, and we need to talk about descendants. First of all, land. So God meets Abram in the land of Haran and commands him to go. He needs to leave his country leave his kindred, leave his father's house, and go to the land that God will show him, a land which Abram will shortly find out as the land of Canaan. Now, if you remember, Canaan was where his father had intended to go when he left Ur, but something made him stop in Haran. It doesn't just say that Haran was where Terah died, Terah being Abram's father. It says that they settled there. They had begun to put down roots there. But Abram needed to make sure he didn't mistake the place he found himself in for the larger purpose that God had for him and his people. God says, leave what you know. Leave who you know and follow me. Leave what you know. Leave who you know and follow me. He offered land to a landless people. If that sounds outrageous, it's supposed to. It would have been so easy for Abram to push back and say, no, 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 God, you don't understand. We got a good thing going on here. Why would I go there when here is just fine? So we've titled this series, actually, Identify. The point of the series 
is for us to consider the lives of Abraham and his next three generations after him um, and how we would see ourselves in these stories. The call of Abram here in this text begins a chain of events that ultimately would lead to Christ's death and resurrection, and therefore to you and I sitting in this room today. Because Abram said yes. You and I can be thankful for the following words after God stops talking at the end of verse 3. The next words, beginning in chapter 12, verse 4, are, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Os Guinness says, Calling is the truth that God calls us to Himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out as a response to His summons and service. Let me say that again. Calling is the truth that God calls us to Himself so decisively that everything we are and everything we do and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out as a response to His summons and service. God spoke, so Abram went. He's not given the full picture right now. Perhaps we can be grateful He doesn't. He doesn't have it. If Abram was only given a glimpse of what the next 4,000 years of fighting would look like in regards to that particular piece of land, he might not be so keen to say yes. Still, the call was to go from here to there. The call was to leave the known and journey into the unknown in a response to God's holy summons. You see, there was more than land at stake when God called Abram to leave his country. It would have been impossible for Abram to know the entire story at that moment. It would have been inappropriate. It would have been ridiculous for Abram, for God to have told Abram everything that was going to unfold over the next 4,000 years. All he needed to do at that moment was respond to God's call with yes. So, is that you today? Perhaps you've heard the call. Perhaps what you're supposed to do. Perhaps you know what you're supposed to do, but you haven't taken the first crucial step of trust because you're holding on to the idol of your own ignorance. Perhaps some of you are holding back on faith and trust in God's call because you don't know what the journey will look like. And if that's you, you're right. I can't tell you what what the consequences will be to your answering the call God has on your life. I can't tell you what your journey is going to look like. I can only tell you that you're not alone and that the destination is worth it. Peter opens his epistle by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. My friends, this promise made to Abram in regards to land will ultimately find its fulfillment in the new creation. The union of heaven and earth and the reconciliation of all things. It wasn't Abram's call to usher in the new creation. It was his call to respond when God said go. The second crucial element to this call is the promise of blessing. Blessing simply could be defined as a particular goodness received or given. We can give blessing to God through our worship and through our thanksgiving. We can receive blessings from God and we can receive and give blessings with each other. Abraham and his people are to experience blessing from God. That's clear. He's told that God will make him a great nation. He's told that God will bless him. He's told that God will make his name great. Not only that, he's going to bless those who bless him, and anybody who curses him, well, or anyone who dishonors him, they're going to be cursed. Abram and his people will be God's people, and they will experience the blessing therein. But it would be so easy for us to hear this as the good news or as merely the good news. Abram and his people, they are not blessed to the exclusion of others. They are blessed for the benefit of others. I've been listening to a lot of this preacher down in Texas named Robert Morris, and Pastor Morris puts it this way. He says, a blessed life is a life that blesses. A blessed life is a life that blesses. When we take Israel out of the story of the gospel, it might be easy for us to reduce Christianity to a personal plan of salvation. Paul says in Ephesians, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus so that we can go to heaven when we die. No, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. My friends, you were not saved so that you could sit quietly and wait for God to take you to heaven when you die. You were saved so that you could be a blessing to others. How do you bless others? Well, that could look like any number of things. It's going to look like as many things as how many people there are in this room. Answering that call will be a story of its own in the church's Prayers of the people that we sometimes read. Um, it has this line that prays that we would be such a blessing to our neighbors that they would miss us if we went away. That applies not only to the incarnational ministry that, that we do here in the community of Catonsville, but also to the blessing that we can be to the areas, of the, uh, of, uh, the areas in which we live and work and play. Wherever you go, you'll be the church. It may sound foolish, but as we wrestle with our answer to God's call, perhaps we should maybe do like a blessing audit. Count your blessing. Get a piece of paper and a pen. Count your blessing, and I mean it. List them. 
List them out on a piece of paper. Try to put as many things as possible on just one piece of paper that speak of the blessings that you've received from God and from others and be thankful for them. Praise God for them. And then ask yourself, am I leveraging these blessings that I've received from my God and I've listed them on this page? Am I leveraging them? Am I using them in order that I might be a blessing for others? Or am I hoarding them for myself? Have you been blessed with wealth? Praise God. How can you direct that blessing at helping others in need? Have you been blessed with education? Praise God. How can you pour your knowledge and your wisdom into others? Have you been blessed with music? How can you pour your musical talent like we've seen Andrew do for the past year and a half? And praise God for that. We've watched him take this this incredible blessing that God has given him in this musical talent and use it to be an instrument of worship in his church. Finally, the third element of this covenant by God with Abram is the promise of descendants. God God promises Abram that his descendants would be as the dust of the earth. So that if one could count the dust of the earth, his offspring also can be counted. That's in a later chapter in Genesis. Abram begins then to despair. Because he and his wife are getting old, getting on in years. The heir of his wealth is someone that he isn't even related to. But God promises him that his descendants will actually come from his own son, One day, God takes Abram, and he takes him outside in the middle of the night, and he asks him to look up into the sky and sees all the stars stretched out above him. And God says, Abram, look, look towards the heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. Abraham would, in fact, have a son. In fact, Abram ends up having more than one son, and it is through his second son, Isaac, that we'll pick up next week. We'll pick up the story with Isaac's children next week. For now, we leave with this promise that God makes to that man in Haran that somehow, in Abram, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, when Abram said yes to God's call, it would begin a line that would one day arrive at Messiah Jesus, the one who would return peace with God and begin the new creation and the restoration of all things. The cosmos that Abram looked up at that night would one day be brought under the rule and reign of one of Abraham's own children. All of creation would be blessed by Abraham's simple obedience. All of creation would be blessed because Abraham had the courage to say, yes. So Abram went. Let me pray for us. Father, speak to us today. Remind us of the blessings that you've given us. Give us moments of peace, quietness, of contemplation and meditation and prayer where we can be thankful for them.
thankful for our time and our talent and our treasure. These things that you've given us that bless our lives richly. But Father, don't let us rest in them. Don't let us sit quietly and stagnantly. Help us be dynamic with our blessings. Help us take these things that you've given us, our talent, our treasure, our time, the things that you've done in us, and help us reflect that back into the world that is desperate for your love, that's desperate for your hope, that's desperate for a piece of good news. Father, you have given us the good news of the reconciliation and the restoration of all things. You have given us the good news of resurrection. How can we leave this place today and go and be the church and reflect that resurrection life back into the world? Father, we cannot do that of our own, of our own cunning of our own talents. It's all from the blessings that we've received from you. It's all the grace that we've received from you. But Father, help give us the courage to say yes to your call. Give us the courage that if we're not sure what our call is, that maybe we need to call a friend. Maybe we need to think of who the most trusted person in our lives is and go out to coffee with that person and ask that person to speak into us. Where have you seen God's blessing in my life because maybe I'm blind to it right now. And maybe together where two or more are gathered, maybe in a house church, maybe in the, in the wider church community, whatever it looks like, you can remind us through each other what our blessings are and how we can be a blessing to others. Father, convict us if we need to be convicted. Disturb us if we need to be disturbed. But let us not hoard our blessings. Let, them, let us give them to others. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray all of these things. Amen.